0: Welcome to Episode 9 of Civil War Breakfast Club. I am your co-host, Mary, and joining me is the awesome Darren Weeks.
1: Wow, awesome. You know, I knew when I gave you those publicity the last couple of times I did the intro, I knew I'd get some payback for this. I'll take awesome. Compared to the other words you call me, we'll take that. A lot of those (laughs) other words start with A as well, but that's another story. Actually, they start with
0: F. Fuckers. That's right.
1: Yep, there goes. Yep, All right. Well, there you go. 13 seconds. I swear. You have <laughs> but once again, the capital E is next to this broadcast on iTunes. So anyway, how are you, Mary? How are you today? I noticed your
0: hair looks so different today. Yes. Yeah. For those that aren't or who are listening, I have my hair pulled back in a ponytail tonight and I usually just wear it down. So
1: hey, it's, <laughs> it's so different. But anyway, yeah. So how's how's your week been? How's everything going? You have a good weekend?
0: I did. Thank you. Yes, it was good. We had a great live on Saturday. Oh, we did certainly. So, yeah, that was pretty awesome. Saw a yeah. bit of Boston on Sunday.
1: Yeah, a little bit of a little bit of the city on Sunday going to yes. Miami my home city. They'll have some, some, some time in. I can't yep. talk today, wow. <laughs> spend some time in the city and get to have a good time with that. And that was fun, yep. certainly. And But yeah, to your point, the live was great. We have, everybody who's signed on to that gets an A for the day because that would was a lot of people jumping onto it and having a good time with it. And we have fun because people are really into it. And that reminds me right at the beginning of our upcoming Civil War Breakfast Club Roundtable, yep. which is going to be, well, this is going to drop on Saturday morning. Yeah. So it'll, So it'll be like the following Wednesday and we'll yep, get those that information out. So so you can send your emails to Civil War Breakfast Club at gmail? Yeah, Dot .com. Dot .com? Okay. Yep. And so if you're interested, we'll do it. And the lovely Queen of the North will email you a copy <laughs> of the Zoom link and yep. you can be participate. We'll talk about that, but that'll be pretty cool. That's a conversation for another day. But overall, we put chickamauga and i put a nice little bow on it last week yes, i thought we did. it seemed like it's pretty strong much more learned now certainly got to talk about chickamauga oh. which is cool
0: well you rocked it well how was your well, weekend well awesome. you know it was one of those <laughs> things you know just one of those things got to hang out a little bit had some
1: fun yeah a little long weekend here oh by the way that reminds me happy thanksgiving belated well
0: thank you to our friends thing. up Yes.
1: To our friends up there across the border, we had holiday here. We had Columbus Day here, mm-hmm. I believe they still call it, and so we had Monday off. It was nice to have a long weekend, but mm-hmm. now it's back to the grind again. Now it's time to get back to the podcast, get back to work, yep. and get ready for another exciting, exciting topic.
0: Yes. So, and-
1: I was going to tell you, did you know, I don't know if you knew this, but did you know that George McClellan didn't get along with Lincoln?
0: I'm you shocked. Well, a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't. Speaking of George McClellan, what beer are you drinking? Tonight? Oh my God. Good
1: catch tonight. I am drinking from Antietam Brewery, Little Mac IPA.
0: One million IBUs.
1: And it's slow going. Since it is Antietam Brewery, I'm drinking out of the Antietam coffee mug. So that's my libation for the evening. And I think nice. this is a good one. It's a good solid IPA. Pretty soft. If you've been to Antietam Brewery, anybody out there, definitely go. It's a cool little place to go. And the uh, last time we went there, they had no power, which sucked. But the time before that, I went to buy some beer. And this is my last one.
0: Oh, so you saved it for nice.
1: This is haven't... my This is my Antietam battle one because it's the last one Whoa, McClellan. <laughs> See what I did there? Okay. Oh, nice.
0: It's almost like you planned that week's. Yeah.
1: I was up all night practicing that Mary matter. Wow. Of that.
0: Look at you yeah. go. I know. I do my best. <laughs> well, I am drinking Hazy Sunset from Bayfield Brewing Company, which is just 15 minutes down the road from me. And I'm drinking it out of my John Reynolds mug, who... I may or may not mention John Reynolds on the show tonight. I'm kind of thinking I just might be. I
1: think you might. I also think there might be an old Howard mention at some point this evening. Mm-hmm. I think there probably will. I think there'll be a lot of things we're going to talk about tonight. Yep. But I think tonight's podcast topic, if you haven't guessed it yet, is going to be about the McClellan-Lincoln relationship. And a lot of stuff that's come out about that over the years. We're going to talk about maybe some perception versus reality of all the stuff i've read about specifically this topic everyone talks about mcclellan and all of the mistakes and the slow and the the numbers and all the stuff that you read about the top line stuff but there's not a lot of stuff talked about regarding why he was that way why was his issue with lincoln what was the crux of the problem with them too mm-hmm. and we're going to look at that a little bit we're going to kind of go back in time to the end of 1861, and we're going to talk about maybe what the issue was, and see if we can try to figure out maybe, and let the folks decide for themselves, if, was Mac justified being pissed? Was he overreacting? Was Lincoln, did he overstep a little bit? Did we? I mean, did he? Did he? That's my, that's my Riley yeah. pool. We'll look at that, and you can decide for yourself, Mary. We'll find out. We'll see what the, we'll see what the masses think.
0: Yep. No, and I, I think this is a great topic. You know, last week when we first talk, talked about it, we were going to do... Just talking about a little bit after Antietam and what happened with the meeting between Lincoln and McClellan, but then Darren had this great idea to explore the the relationship between the two of them. I think it gets back to in to what's called historical memory. Mm-hmm. There's certain parts of it that aren't actually looked at or explored. Like if you say George McClellan, the first word that comes comes to mind is slow. He was arrogant. He was like a thorn in Lincoln's side, you know, just oh, <laughs> like that. But it's like anything to do with the Civil War. When you start looking at it a little bit deeper. You start to mm-hmm. see a different side of it. And, and just to be clear to our listeners, we're not completely going 100% with McClellan on this. We're also not bashing Lincoln at all. We're looking at it, I would say, objectively, and we're exploring mm-hmm. the evidence that is there just to show that there's two sides to every story. And I think sometimes Mac gets thrown, maybe thrown under the bus a little bit too much. Well, and- yeah, exactly.
1: I mean, you mentioned a couple of these. We'll look at the national perception. Is a thing, yeah. but also public memory is another thing. I want yeah. people nowadays. Study. So you look, at, you just look at some of the, the words comparing Lincoln and McClellan. So you look at Lincoln, you think of honest. You know, you, you you think of honest. You think of the great emancipator. You think of save the union. You think of martyr. You think of uh, the man of sorrows. That was my favorite yeah. one. You know. Yeah. But then you think of McClellan. You think of narcissist, right? You mm-hmm. think of self pity, hubris. He was probably the guy who returned the Tupperware without washing it, probably. Oh, he totally would have been that fucker. Uh, he, he was that guy on the hot day where we said, hot enough for you. That's who, yeah. all that stuff. He, <laughs> you one know, of my
0: favorite songs. You, you just, you, yeah, exactly.
1: But you know, <laughs> but you know, he, though, know, but time goes on. Think of like a seesaw where Lincoln gets more and more one direction and McClellan gets more and more the other direction. Doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just that's no. what the public memory is. And I think when you look at the whole thing and it still goes on i remember you know years ago back when the u.s was fighting iraq we talked about this last night a little bit yep. uh george bush had a lieutenant general by the name of ricardo sanchez remember him mm-hmm. you don't whatever okay but let's no ret- i do okay. i remember do you daughter. really
0: or, yes okay my grandparents Ric- had it all the time and i practically lived with them
1: okay ricardo sanchez <laughs> he he didn't get along with george bush they argued they fought they eventually left and you know what they called him in the media Bush's McClellan. Mm-hmm. I thought it was cool. I mean, not so much the, the Gulf War, but, but I mean, as far as how McClellan, even today, was brought up when there's a conflict between a president and a general, McClellan's name still to this day gets brought up. And that's mm-hmm. the public memory. That's the whole public memory yeah. about about George McClellan. Right or wrong? I mean, look, we've all done things, okay, that people remember us for, the good, the bad, and the ugly, especially you. And so as time go, as time goes on, you have to look at what's reality and what's not and well you know and this isn't so much a fact-finding mission per se is and i've always wondered and this is what was a good exercise to your point i've always wondered what was it about lincoln that got him that he just got under his, his burr under mm. his saddle that freaking phrase is under the mcclellan it- saddle out of the McClellan saddle, yes, and I think I think there's a, a lot of it, and I I I think is in researching this, a lot of interesting things did come out, and not to uh, say one's right or wrong, mm-hmm. but it's just interesting, and you can make up your yes. own friggin' minds, and you know what, if you don't if you don't like it, then who cares? But it, it's, but this is it's, just, it's yes. just what it is what it is. So let's real quick kind of go with the McClellan real quick. We talked about this real quick. George Bent McClellan, everybody, everybody knows him. West Point class of 1846, graduated with Pickett, Will mm-hmm. the the great Cadmus Wilcox, A.P. Hill in a uh, and Jack Stonewall Jackson, Jackson. Yep. and he, you know everybody knows he you know, he fought in Mexico under Winfield Scott. You know he was only thirty-five years old in Antietam. I mean he was still a young guy for the most yep. part. He hadn't he hadn't fully grown
0: yet. Obviously he was one of the younger ones.
1: He was still okay. still little, you know,
0: <laughs> literally um, and figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> you
1: know he was an administrator. He was he was the the president of a railroad before the war. People realize or maybe they do. He had a lot of success early. Mm-hmm. You know he won those wars at um, those battles early in the war in Western Virginia, Western Virginia Battle of Philly he won and it really got him a lot of of, of attention because that was the first land war this is back in june of 1861 so it was the first land 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 battle i mean Mm -hmm. of the civil war and he got famous for that because what was going on not soon after that was first manassas we saw mcdowell basically peed down his leg and and he Mm -hmm. wasn't gonna be able to do that much more but after that battle of philip you know he's promoted that the you know the new york herald calls him young napoleon he yeah. isn't that nickname. And I'm sure he loved that, by the way. <laughs> Lincoln ended up promoting him to commander of the Army of the Potomac after that first, first ball run loss. And, and we've talked about this a million times. First thing he does, he looks at the Army and says, this Army's shit. Yeah. It's a bunch of farmers, a bunch of carpenters. I got to train these guys. So he spends about the next nine or 10 months or so really building and training and drilling these guys into what he called a capable Army. Mm-hmm. right he decides to take his army on the road ends up doing the peninsula campaign mm-hmm. and this is where he starts to get the reputation of being timid and sluggish and everything was going on with that campaign the, the, the magruder thing is James jamestown comes to mind where he's he's waiting outside of the battlefield and he sees the you know magruder's marching the same guys around in a circle over and over and over again i don't think it's all these soldiers coming in he's oh shit they got so many guys and, and it just it ends up being a complete mess seven days battle comes along not Soon afterwards, in the meantime, Joseph Johnson gets hurt. Yep. The Seven pines. I mean, we will call seven pines, by the way. Thank you very yep. much. Yeah, also um,
0: called fair oaks. That, that's actually, well, that, that, boy
1: boy, did you get pissed on today with that?
0: I was not pissed off about it. I just, I was, he's lying. I was not pissed off about it. Guess what?
1: <laughs> but you know, brings on the seven days battles. This is the you know that week from June twenty fifth to July first, and he gets near Richmond, basically, he's you know, he's so close, the whole thing kind of falls apart. He ultimately gets fired they bring in pulp we talked about second manassas and the whole thing fell apart and this is really the beginning of when you really start to see well maybe publicly anyway you start to really see mcclellan start to really stew mm-hmm. he starts to get pretty starts to get pretty pissed off this is when he's writing his wife about the original gorilla all this stuff and he's calling career
0: puppy wells is a garrulous old woman he hates hates Stanton with a passion and that is going to really show after the Battle of Antietam Mm -hmm. that he does not like Edwin M. Stanton at all although I mean, I'm, does not, anybody, does anybody I'm not I'm not a huge fan of Stanton actually no <laughs> not, I'm just no. Right out there. I'm not
1: no as you research more Stanton we should do a podcast someday on why Stanton sucks just call it why Stanton sucks yep. yeah and just call it that you know we did a whole podcast on second Manassas and John Pope comes over from the west and gets pantsed he ends up getting beef and now it goes back to that situation where Lincoln's like shit what, what the freaking hell do I do now they have that meeting with the cabinet mm-hmm. on September 2nd 1860 1861 1862 rather and he everyone thinks he's going to get just get McClellan gone. Just whatever the hell we're going to do. Pope's gone, but we're not bringing McClellan back. And then Lincoln changes turn, changes speed, brings in McClellan, lets him be in charge of Washington, D.C. and for the defenses, and let him fuck around with that. Yep. But then Lee, on the 5th of September, invades the North. He invades Maryland. And so now Lincoln needs a commander. He needs a field commander. He brings back in McClellan. Yep. The troops love it. They're all riding around yelling, Mac is back, Mac is back. Who assumed that's what they would talk about? Maybe the Big Mac was on. At the McDonald's, (laughs) at the the McDonald's, it's it's actually and the monopoly game
0: was happening too at that
1: time. Well, that's what they were trying to get those pieces, the Lego pieces. Exactly. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, it's Lego. They were after the Legos. You know,
1: Um, Mack, he ends up doing the the Maryland campaign.
0: Yeah, he has his mistakes, Special Order 191, and he does all the
1: stuff that everybody talks about. But he does, I guess he wins the battle. I mean, people say it's like a tie, but he basically wins. He pushes off.
0: It was enough of a win for Lincoln to know that he could release the emancipation. It was what he had been waiting for because Lee was back across the river again. So that was enough that Lincoln, it was enough of what Lincoln needed in order to get the emancipation out there. I mean, him putting McClellan back in was both from a military perspective, and, like standpoint in that he had to use the tools he had. And that was exactly what he told his cabinet. There was nobody else. He knew McClellan could organize the shit out of those men. And he knew that McClellan could raise the morale. But the other reason he needed it too is McClellan was a Democrat and he needed Democrat support for the emancipation as well as for the election.
1: And of course, McClellan, he, he's going to take the victory lap. He's, I got that quote from He writes to his wife. Yeah, Where he writes, picture the flowery music in the back. Picture Lorena playing in the background. Say, like this, okay? what, actually, why don't, you, why don't you sing Lorena like you did the other night while I do this?
0: Did I sing Lorena the other night? No, I didn't. <laughs> well, how much did I drink? Okay. <laughs> what happened?
1: <laughs> all right. So, so, so he writes to his wife, whose name is Mary. Another, again, so you know what she's all about. Yeah. Those, those in whose judgment I rely on tell me that I fought the battle splendidly. And that I was a masterpiece of art. Could be asked to save the Union twice in this country. Twice, he says. I feel little pride in having, with a beaten and demoralized army, defeated Lee so utterly well. Of these days, history will, I trust me, do justice. So he's saying, for one, he saved the Union twice. Well, I assume he's, he's talking about when he took over after
0: Bull Run. I, I assume. That's absolutely I, what he's talking about. Okay, so he's he, talking, wrote, he's... he wrote letters back then. One of the lines in them was, I appear to have been called upon to save the land. And that's... You know, you know how many times I've said that? I'm a nickel for every time I said that phrase. Uh,
1: well... I guess you can just edit that one right out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but what is he does say a, He does say a couple of things... <laughs> Yeah, nice pause. But um, he does talk a little bit, though, some things that do make sense. It gives you a little bit of insight, though, on what's going on. He says, basically, I feel a little pride in having with a beaten and demoralized army. And he's actually right about that. Mm. Because when he, when he takes over Pope's army, the army's a mess. He has to merge three armies. We talked yeah. about this before. Army of the Potomac, Army of Virginia, in the, the the expedition, North Carolina expeditionary group yep. from Burnside. Mm-hmm. He's got to put all three together. Some of them like Mac, some of them don't like Mac. So he's taken over and taken them into battle, a group of soldiers who just got their ass thoroughly whipped it's second like Manassas, and now they're invading the north, and they're like, well, shit, here we go again. So they were demoralized. There's no question they were definitely demoralized. Yeah. So as you know, eventually, he is going to sit in camp, and he's going to wait, and he's going to wait, and he's going to wait. We're going to talk more in detail about this in a little while, but we're just doing the big... We're doing what's called the big picture, Mary, yeah. right now. And Then we're going to go down to the smaller picture. Okay, yes. you cool with this? I'm cool okay. with it. You're not going to give me shit later for this?
0: No. Well, no okay. guarantee. No. Okay. We'll promises, <laughs> promises.
1: All right. So Big, big picture, he's going to sit at Sharpsburg, and he's going to wait. Lincoln's going to get mad, and so Lincoln's going to say, do something, you know, and he's going to ultimately end up jumping on the Acela and taking the ride over to Maryland. Probably had a presidential pass to get there quick, probably yeah. at the front seat, okay? <laughs> so, he, so he finally got there, and he meets with him. And he says he says, You know what? You need to go get him. You need to you need to go chase him down. McClellan this is all this is all perception right now. We're gonna talk more yeah. in detail about this stuff. McClellan basically says, No, go stick it in your big tall hat. I'm gonna sit here and relax. <laughs> And then a few weeks later, McClellan gets fired. He gets the old heave-ho. Yeah. He gets, right? And then it kind of goes from there. And then it ends up with McClellan finally leaving the stage of the military. You see him later on in the presidential election of 64, where he's going to ultimately lose. He's going to write a gigantic 476-page book. So it's basically like a Coddington book that is going to... Rip Lincoln and the horse you rode in on. Everything he could possibly think of against Abraham Lincoln. Yep. So that's the big picture. And I think as we look at this, it just seems that he, that old movie there, Anchorman, this escalated quickly, right? It, it this did. escalated quickly. It, it did. So, so what happened?
0: What happened between them? What I happened? I think you have to go back to the peninsula play, play, the,
1: play, the, play the counselor right now. They're both sitting in front of you right now. now they're looking away at each other. They're pissed. You bring them together and say, guys,
0: what happened between you two? What's the, What's the story? I think McClellan would say, go back to the Peninsula campaign and look at what happened with my original plan to go through Urbana. I think
1: it's even before that. I think it's before the Peninsula campaign. I think it goes back to the very end of First Manassas, right? So, I mean, if you take a peek at it, First Manassas happens. The whole thing's a mess. It's a complete disaster you know and he ultimately ends up he basically ends up taking over at that point from from mcdowell so he's back in dc gets pushed back joseph johnson and his army is still sitting in manassas they probably had some kind of extended stay at the quinta inn <laughs> so they were still they were still sticking around there the one off the highway there if you've been there he wants to basically you know to deal with this one way or the other joseph Johnson is still going to hang around he's not going to leave lincoln wants him out Lincoln says, you know what? He's way too close to Washington. we got to get him the fuck out of there. He just, he, he he can't, we can't have an army that big 30 minutes in the city. It's just, you know, despite the beltway traffic, it would take him four days to get there. But he doesn't want them there. This is where Clellan comes up to your point, the Urbana plan. Yep. So we're talking December 1861, mid-December, right around there. Yep. Um, Christmas lights are out. It's very pretty looking. And look, he plans the the Urbana campaign, which basically he's going to merge his army with the Navy that we're going to see later on in Vicksburg. We're going to see this in Vicksburg down the road. He wants to take his troops, and he wants to put them on the boats. He wants to steam down the Potomac into the Chesapeake Bay area, get onto the Rappahannock River, and sail upstream to Urbana. And that's when he wants to attack the confederates that's what he wants yeah and lincoln pulls out his not so fast my friend card
0: the stuff that lincoln does here completely stalls mcclellan i when i was reading about this in more detail earlier today when i was doing some more research about it the urbana plan just sounds it sounds a little bit like what was done at vicksburg but it sounds like a really great plan on paper but mm-hmm. timing was everything with this and because lincoln was like whoa 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 here's my plan writes mcclellan and mcclellan's got to read over his plan mcclellan writes h- him back and says dude i'm insistent let's do do my plan so then lincoln's like okay okay well you, then you got to put it to a vote you got to have a war council and you got to put it to a vote hmm? and it's just like mcclellan <sighs> must have been like holy fuck this is a war
1: oh mcclellan's mac is pissed because lincoln lincoln loses his patience he wants yep. he, he says listen fuck that you're not doing that plan okay you can plan your boat later okay here's yep. what we're gonna do I want an all army assault on Johnson. I want you to go right directly against Johnson, go southwest of Manassas, and mm-hmm. just just go get him. And Mac is like, you know, so he now he's pissed off. So he's like, well, he's still going to sit there. So McClellan says, you know something, I I got to go to Washington and talk to this freaking guy. So he goes to, he goes to the White House, and he meets with McClellan, dude. What's the word?
0: You fuckers. <laughs> no.
1: Pretty much. Fuck you. He basically says, I want to, this plan will work. He says, I'm, you know, this is an aggressive plan and we have to do it. Lincoln appears to acquiesce to this though. I
0: don't
1: know if, if, you know, he just basically says, you know, something to your point, okay, fine, here's what you got to do. You got to do it, but I want you to take your 12 division commanders and you got to put a vote to them. Yeah. It ends up being 8 to 4 in favor of McClellan. In case you're curious, I did look up the vote. He gets what he wants. But what, to your point, what is he losing?
0: He's losing time. And he he's loses a dive. time Ain't to got the it. point where Johnston has withdrawn and he's no longer there. So Urbana is no longer an option. And the other thing that happens to Mac in this time is the Quaker gun incident yeah. where right. it turns out that they weren't real guns. They it happens, happens a lot to Mac. The entire time. It's a string of bad luck. And Mac should have known. But at the same time, like, Lincoln took away a lot of time in having to you know, be like, no, I don't want you doing this plan. Here's what I think should be done. And then Max having to go to Washington. And then Lincoln's like, OK, put it to a vote.
1: Well, and for whatever reason, you know how you, you get obsessed with stuff and it just gets in your yeah. head? Yeah. And it just it, yeah, you got to have it. He was obsessed with this plan.
0: He was. He was yeah. he was obsessed with it. It was his baby. Plan. It was his baby and he it loved his, it. It was his baby.
1: It was his chickamauga. It was his baby. It was his baby. It was Chickamauga's Chickamauga, you know. <laughs> and so he's obsessed with this. Lincoln doesn't want Washington DC exposed. And that's the whole point. He's afraid that yep. if he takes and goes around, tries to get behind them, they're going to march on DC. And maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. But to what to your point we just said, February 22nd, which is the drop dead date. That they wanted to attack by mm-hmm. comes and goes mcclellan's still there finally lincoln says you gotta fucking go and when he starts to move what happens johnson leaves yeah. so joseph johnson's no longer manassas anymore so from december until the end of february they were sitting there on their asses, literally doing nothing while well, the Confederates yeah. regrouped, they trained, and they got the hell out of Dodge. Yeah. So it was a op- huge opportunity missed for the Union.
0: Yeah, And McClellan you know? has to reach, he does retool his plan to disembark from Fort Fortress Monroe and advance up the peninsula that way. And that's when mm-hmm. you get into the peninsula Campaign.
1: Yeah. Before we before we jump on the peninsula, okay, yeah.
0: think about your own
1: life for a second. Mm-hmm. You're going to be a clone for a second here. You guys are at the same site. You're a five foot four angry person, <laughs> too. So you so we'll, we'll put you right in that spot, okay? Jeez. You're obsessed with something you really want to do, okay. okay? You've got to have it, okay? Yeah. And you see your boss, okay, back at your job, okay, yeah. at the Dairy Queen. She doesn't write the Dairy Queen. I but, but, dairy but, Queen. Oh, I wish, oh, I'd love Dairy Queen right now, though. It's So hot down here. Think about your job, okay? And you, there's something you really, really, really want to do. Yep. And then your boss meddles and dilly dallies and everything else you could think of. This is what I want to do. Maybe he's kind of fucking
0: me around so I can't do
1: what I want to do. And then he just, it doesn't happen. How would you feel?
0: I would feel I had one job to do and I'm trained to do this job. And the person that is technically not trained to do the job is, is kind of meddling and I mean for Lincoln though you know he was trying he was going and reading books on military stuff and he didn't fully understand it and I'm sure he had like opinions coming at him from all over the place pressure he wouldn't believe and I mean McClellan's got a huge ego on him so that's another thing to consider in this is like if he's got that huge ego and he's had this plan and it's just basically been shot down and then he can't do it for whatever reason yeah he's there's gonna be a little bit of anger starting to form there
1: and this is a guy McClellan you know west point or all that stuff this is a military guy this is a guy yeah. who was in his mind he's been told he's a young napoleon he's yeah. living the life and he sees this guy who is not really a military guy who is a political guy and he this is really the first time that maybe mcclellan starting to think a little bit of like you know what i just I just i need to do my friggin' job here and this guy's standing in my way, so he deals with that. And then the next step along the way is the peninsula. To your point, yeah. So the peninsula is another one that you know, and this is another one where you look at maybe how much of a meddler he actually, that Lincoln actually was. So you know, Lincoln, he was very active in the military. He wasn't as active as, say, Jeff Davis was, though. Jeff Davis was thought he was thought it was George Washington fighting, yeah. for, the, you know, independence. So it goes back to the peninsula in '62, the Seven Days Battles. There's that story that I, you know, we talked about yesterday that that a lot of people don't really research as much you know what we know about the peninsula in the seven days is you know clown's army gets on the peninsula of virginia and they're going to try to take richmond and they kind of inch their way up the peninsula they fight and they fight and they fight and, and they get pretty close they get pretty close battle of seven pines joseph, joseph johnson is may 31st the same day as who gets injured
0: on may 31st Oliver otis howard gets oh, shot twice on, in his right arm and has to have it amputated
1: and luckily for him it grew back yep it, it certainly did it did grew back was as Darren
0: proved today on Twitter because everything yeah. you see on the internet is accurate
1: yeah don't look it up it's true he grew back and so <laughs> May, May, May 31st okay Joseph Johnson gets injured and they say that it was the best shot in the Confederacy history even though it was a union guy because now Shun 1st takes over and now now we get Robert E. Lee yep. so he's going to take over Robert E. Lee up to that point had been Managing the coastal defenses around Richmond, he'd been an advisor to Jefferson Davis. Yeah, he, he really was like been, an
0: administrative role, right? Now he's a field
1: commander, so it's similar to what McClellan took over after yeah. Second Manassas, except you know Lee is, is much you know better at it. So he is doing his thing. McClellan, for the most part, is doing okay. Yep. I mean, he, it's it's taken you know he's been a couple of months he's been going at it, but. All of a sudden, in May of eighteen sixty two, Stowall Jackson starts creeping across the Shenandoah Valley. Yeah. And he fights Nathan Nathaniel Banks from Waltham, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. my it. He did it finally. You almost said it right too. Waltham, Massachusetts is a tough one for you to say.
0: It's pretty
1: close. Pretty close. So he fights Nathaniel Banks. So you can write he's on a whole whole nother friggin' mess, but he's fighting Nathaniel Banks. He's pushing him down the Shenandoah, gets him across the Potomac. Lincoln sees this. And thinks, holy shit, I have an opportunity to bag Jackson. Yep. He's exposed. He's separated from the army. I can go get him. You know how you are with the Twitter. You're kind of into the Twitter a lot. Yep. Borderline obsessed with the Twitter.
0: Yep. Lincoln's like Lincoln, right? the telegraph. In the
1: telegraph, exactly. So he's, yep. he's picture Mary with her phone tweeting oh, old pictures all the time. This is this is what Lincoln's doing with the Link, telegraph. You're the same. <laughs> I, I resemble that. Anyway. <laughs> He, Lincoln is telegraphing now. You got a guy who's who now he wants to be part of this decision stuff. Yeah. So what does he do? He's going to telegraph directly to give orders to General John Fremont, as well as as well as, as Irvin McDowell. Now Fremont's is going to be west of the Alleghenies. He's going to be right that in the mountains. Versus McDowell is going to be in the Blue Ridge Mountains. So what he's going to do? He's going to telegraph both of them. He's going to have Fremont come from the west. He's going to have McDowell come from the east and they're going to pull a pincer on Stonewall, and they're going to bag him. So he doesn't take McDowell's entire core. He takes, out of the 40,000 guys, he takes 30,000. That's a lot of guys. Yeah, That's like a, that's like, that's like a ballpark's yeah. worth of people. He takes 30,000 people away from Clellan to go chase Jackson. To Jackson's defense, he somehow gets out of it. They don't get him. But now, right when you were supposed to have that 30,000 guys was supposed to be basically on the right flank of McDowell. That's where he was supposed to – of McClellan, that's where he's supposed to be. Now there's 30,000 guys missing. So now his army is significantly weak. So you know what what Lee does?
0: He's going to attack –
1: he's going to hit them right there.
0: Yep. And he's that like right there. That was just oh my god, I can't imagine what that would have been like for McClellan. You
1: know. And if you read some of the, the stories after the fact, Yeah. A lot of people gave Lincoln credit for that plan because they thought it was a, audacious. That's a good a solid word. It was an audacious plan for the president to do. But it really it really was kind of irresponsible, if it really really was. Oh. Um it it was misguided because for one he didn't tell McClellan no which is i mean he he
0: should have told mcclellan
1: he didn't consult mac he told after the fact which is what he did so now you have Lee basically, he, he wants to fight a defensive battle with McClellan, which we'll see later on with Antietam, which is kind of a big issue with him getting fired. But he wants to fight defensively. He also knows that Mac wants to fight defensively too. He, t- he starts to pull those maneuver in, you know, the, the, they call it the battle of maneuvering, is what they yeah. called it, where he's going to hit that weak spot on the flank. He's going to force McClellan out to attack him. And then he's going to pound them. He's going to pound them. Yeah. And at this point, now Jackson's going to arrive because that's what they do. They always seem to arrive right in the nick of freaking time. <laughs> These Federal wars, it's like A.P. Hill and Cheatham. Mm-hmm. Jackson's going to arrive. McDowell still doesn't have his guys. They're stuck, they're stuck at the, in line at the Pizza out at the Gettysburg again, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and so the 30,000 guys sent by Lincoln, they didn't arrive in time. And so you've got a significantly weaker thing. Now admittedly McClellan thought that he had, you know, Lee was outnumbered, but at that moment he kinda was, right? So you yep. see in these these battles, McDowell's entire core is supposed to support his right flank right when Lee hit. So he pushes them over the north of the Chickahominy River, not to be confused with the Chattahoochee.
0: Chattahoo- whoa, look at you. See, I've
1: been practicing. See that?
0: Wow, and that was like your Massachusetts. <laughs> well, look at you go. You Does said save properly?
1: They got to time this one, definitely. But, but Lee ends up putting, you know, uh, Fitz John Porter from the Fifth Corps, we talked about it yep. in the Second Manassas. He's basically left to take that spot. And it takes Lee about two days to push him back. And it doesn't, doesn't take a lot long. He, push, he pushes him back. And then now you're playing the what if game. What if McDowell had all his guys? Right? Yeah. Could have been different. Some say it wouldn't have mattered. A lot of people, a lot of the the Lincoln the apologists and all those guys will sit there and say, "Oh, it did, didn't matter to the elite people. He would yeah. have beat him anyway, and maybe he would have. Who the hell knows?" Yeah, there is Again, it goes back to that question before. You're coming off of urbana mm-hmm. now you're in the now you're on
0: the peninsula you're doing pretty well and you can see the, the spires
1: what they call them those damn yep the spires the, of richmond the spires are of in
0: like miles of richmond right. they can see it so he's there.
1: thinking i'm gonna be he's thinking i'm gonna freaking i'm gonna bag richmond i'm gonna be a goddamn hero and i'm gonna yep. end this war and this is gonna be it and now lincoln <laughs> pulls a bunch of his army away yeah, and he and he loses and has to retreat after Gainesville.
0: That would just be
1: right. I don't know. And so, I mean,
0: in Link, not really defending Lincoln, but Lincoln is not there to see this stuff either. But this is an example, and we're going to see it until just after Gettysburg, and we'll I'll mention this later too. But this is kind of like the inter. It's not really interference, but it's the government having a huge hand in how the war is playing out, and it's affecting it. And it will affect the outcome of – it does affect the outcome of a, of a few battles that we will be – almost, almost, almost all the battles, actually. Ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it doesn't really – I don't think Lincoln really realizes it until just after Gettysburg, just what the impact of that is.
1: I mean, he also – he kind of screwed up with Grant a little bit by saying Charles Dana a spy on him,
0: right? Yeah, well, Dana and Grant end up becoming friends. Right, but you can see, is is Lincoln a micromanager? Not in the same way that Jeff Davis was. I think Lincoln Mm -hmm. had had men on his cabinet who were micromanagers, like I think Stanton was. I don't think Gideon Wells was at all, but I think Stanton was, and I think Seward was to some extent, but I think Lincoln was getting a lot of pressure, and he had to do certain things to keep certain people happy. It's kind of like when he named Chase to be chief justice of the Supreme Court. That was not a decision that he really wanted to make, but it was he had pressure from from certain people to to do that for certain reasons. Mm-hmm. I think in this case, it's Lincoln's getting a lot of pressure, but Lincoln is also reading a lot about how the military works and all that. And at the time, he's still very new in his role as president. He's still learning as he goes, and he's going to make mistakes mm-hmm. along the way. But I would not say he's a micromanager in the same way that Jeff Davis was. I think he had micromanager's around him, though, and that. Was I, I would.
1: I, I would. I would agree. I also think that Lincoln, in his defense now, was getting played a little bit by Stanton and Halleck. I mean, he, he was. Yeah.
0: Lost, oh, and Seward. You know. And Seward. Seward too. I mean.
1: You know pe- people give people give McClellan shit – about the overestimate of the numbers. So where do you think you got the numbers from? You got the numbers from Halleck.
0: Yep, Halleck and then and Pinkerton. You know, and then Pinkerton right. was adding five percent. So he was doing my style of math.
1: He was he was doing Mary Math. He must have been Mary call McCle-
0: McCle- Mary McClellan math.
1: Mary McClellan math you know <laughs> from, you know, exactly uh, got the math. But I mean but so so if you're you're McClellan. And again, we're not trying to defend McClellan. All we're trying to do is we're just trying to put it out there to give you an even look at it. Just make up your own freaking yeah. mind, you know, about, about what it is because he does get a bad rap in a lot of these things. He gets blamed for everything. I mean, he just yeah. does. So he's getting numbers fed to him that aren't true. He's having Lincoln real or perceived kind of middling in everything he does. Yeah. Everything.
0: Yeah. Um, the other thing about McClellan's personality is McClellan was not one that liked failure. So when failure was staring him in the face, he would start to kind of balk at it. And that was just who he was. I mean, McClellan was very, like, I mean, he was arrogant. He had an ego on him. He was narcissistic. He wasn't like Grant and Sherman who had experienced failures Mm -hmm. throughout their life into adulthood. Yeah. Like failed careers and all that. Like they had not, he had not experienced that.
1: I mean, no. I mean, I, I mean, it's it's tough to experience failure as an Indians fan. You certainly know that feeling. Fucker. I cer- I, cer- <laughs> I I certainly don't think the city, city of champions here with six World Series and all these other I mean six Super yeah, and where and were the probably. Red
0: Sox this uh, sure.
1: year? I don't know if this Red Sox you speak of. Oh. You know what? They won the World Series two years ago. So they, I'm just saying. You know, there is a World Series Indians fans that. In case you're curious, there is a real series. Here's your
0: burb for the show weeks.
1: No. But but you've obviously handled failure pretty well. And so you gotta think that he probably would have as well. Yeah. But speaking of failure, he ends up getting pushed off the peninsula after the seven days. And of course he's gonna get replaced. Because that's yeah. what they do. They're gonna start replacing these guys left and right. So and who do you think is pissed off but getting fired?
0: McClellan has right? so just been he's been basically told to go stand in the corner.
1: This he's <laughs> That's probably exactly what he wrote when he, when he sat there. General McClellan.
0: He'd go stand in the
1: go corner. corner. <laughs> you can finish it. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. I've find a nickel for every time you've told me that. Darren, go stand in the corner. Go, <laughs> you know... But but you know so he his dislike of Lincoln I mean before he's pe he, you know he's pissed he's been meddled but he's still in command now yep. he's fired now he's legit freaking pissed off you know because don't forget he saw himself as the you know the the, the young Napoleon he was the one who was going to save the day he trained yep. the army he had everything going
0: the um, media is so go- playing him up too that's the other right. thing too yeah. is like McClellan is like think of some celebrity that's constantly in the newspapers. McClellan is a celebrity general at this time, and the media is just feeding that ego that he has.
1: Well, everyone well. loves a, mil- a military hero. I mean, they do. I mean, oh, you saw, a, yeah. you saw, you saw the Grant stories in DC after, the, yeah, after, you know. But I mean, McClellan saw all of this as his chance to be on Mount Rushmore. I know there wasn't existing, I don't think it was existing back then, but but he was he was going to be one of those figure mastheads in American mm-hmm. history, and he was probably on his way. If you think about it, mm-hmm. he was going to be the first, probably the greatest general, arguably since George Washington. Maybe in his mind, I mean, true or yeah. perceived, you know, that's what he was going to see.
0: And then he writes that letter to Lincoln
1: after he basically gets fired and says, you know, you have done your best to sacrifice this army.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's it's total pack your bags. We're going on Mm -hmm. a fucking guilt trip.
1: Can you imagine if you told that to your boss? Oh, I would be fucking gone. If you said you've done your best to sacrifice this, (laughs) what they would say to
0: you, how pissed they'd be. Oh, it would not. It would not fly. It would not fly.
1: No, but that's what he does. Historians. And other people who study history, I guess would be a historian if you think about it. Historians and people who study history basically use these quotes to create this image of McClellan. So Mm -hmm. everything he did well was gone. And while you're destroying McClellan, you're also building up Lincoln at the same time. Exactly. It creates this complete hatred of all things McClellan. Yep. Right. They always said the people who know you the best are the best have the best opinion of you whether correct or uncorrect yeah. the people who still loved him were his soldiers who were with him every single day absolutely right they did, yeah so, so so you think well all these guys love him and i know look he was a flawed guy in a lot of different ways but he sees in his mind in this with, again f- opinion not fact he sees a plan he's obsessed with the brown a plan that is going to win he sees the rug taken off from under him by lincoln Yep. meanwhile lincoln's telling him you've got to be aggressive you've got to be aggressive then he goes to be aggressive he goes oh whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, <laughs> stop four score. seven years you're gonna wait you know? <laughs> and so mcclellan is like well okay he you know licks his wounds rubs it off whatever the hell you want to mm-hmm. call that phrase now he gets the peninsula and the same thing kind of happens again Yep. he's that close to richmond he can hear the bells churning Yes. Right. He gets put in. He he had to have thought he had it. I mean, you're gonna think how close you can get. He, he oh. could have tasted it. He thought it was gonna be so yep. good. Two month campaign, he's gonna sack Richmond. He's gonna be the king. He's gonna be, you know, whatever. Yep. He's gonna basically get he's gonna basically get pushed off. And this is where you're gonna start to see a lot of the stories come out against him about the whole lazy and sluggish and mm-hmm. James Jamestown and all this other stuff. Because what people like in war, they like boldness, right? They like that. Yep. Go get him, right? And the pundits start to lack his aggressiveness. All these people in the newspaper. He's not aggressive. He, you know, he's timid. And that's the thing about it though, his perception was Lincoln got rid of McClellan because he wasn't aggressive enough. Yeah. Right? And so and it kind
0: of goes back to
1: Antietam again. Well, who the hell we he take who took over after Antietam? Burnside,
0: who was, who was the, the most least aggressive Least aggressive general. general. And the story behind Burnside taking over is they basically went up to Burnside and they're like, "Do you want the position?" And Burnside's like, "No." And the guy's like, "Okay, fine. We're gonna go give it to Hooker if you don't want it." And then Burnside just hated Hooker so much, he's like, "Hey, okay, fine. I'll take it." Burnside to me is—it's always perplexed me because Lincoln wanted somebody aggressive, and then so you, so you start to see maybe maybe you start to see some
1: cracks in the overall opinion of McClellan, where people say McClellan—they got rid of McClellan because he wasn't aggressive, yeah. right? He's aggressive and Urbana. He wants to be aggressive. He gets the rug pulled off from under him. He wants to be he wants to be aggressive on the, on the seven days, and he's doing well. And again, the Stonewall Jackson comes out. It's the whole, you know, the, it goes back to that whole the need to hate McClellan. I think historically, right? You begin to feed the monster. Here's McClellan; it needs to be hated. So here's why: When they throw all this stuff at you. But when you look at the stuff, it doesn't add up in a lot of ways. No, it doesn't. Like, Like you're going to bash him for not being aggressive, right? But then, I you you anybody like anybody who says that he was fired for not being aggressive has got to explain the Burnside thing to me because I don't get it and no, no one does.
0: I I don't understand it either. And I mean to like the more I look at McClellan, like I did after the episode we did about Antietam, like yes, McClellan made mistakes after Antietam, but I did come to respect him more as somebody who could organize the fuck out of an army. The one thing that I see a lot of, I guess, parallels with is with with Howard. Just this whole, there's so much hate on McClellan. Well, guess what? There's a lot of hate on Howard. You mentioned Oliver Otis Howard. Everybody always says, oh, he fucked up at Chancellorsville. That's where they stop. They don't they don't remember he won a medal of honor and all that. But like McClellan is, is kind of, I'm starting to see him in that same light that, okay, like, yeah, he was arrogant. He was a dick, whatever. But he did a lot of good with the AOP, with organizing it. And he was held back a lot by by government red tape. There was a lot of that going on too.
1: Do you know red tape is a Civil War phrase? I do. You know where it came
0: from? You know where it came from? I'm trying to think. Oh, so, is, that that humming, is that what that humming noise is?
1: Fucker. <laughs> when Civil War soldiers went to get their pensions after the war. Oh, right. Go we to Washington, D.C., to get their pension. And then when they got there, the pension envelope was wrapped in red tape.
0: Do you know here in Ontario we have a minister of red tape? I'm not. I'm shit. You not really? Yep.
1: You guys got all. You guys got all kinds of. You guys got Santa Claus up there and all kinds of stuff.
0: So you yep, got we have a minister of red tape in our Ontario government.
1: That's pretty cool. That's. I want that job. You make them. I'll move to yep. Canada. You give me that. You give me that job. Yeah,
0: the minister all of red right. tape. Yeah. I mean, he's something, 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 and minister of red tape.
1: That's that's pretty cool. Good yep. sense of humor, but. When you look at this whole thing with, with McClellan, what does the government start to do now? Now to use McClellan as the scapegoat for all the problems, right? Yeah. Perceived or not, you get that quote from your, your friend Edward Stanton, okay,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where he writes, and he, you know, he writes in his thing, if Mac had one million men, he'd swear the enemy had two million, and then he'd sit in the mud and yell for three. Yeah. That's the quote from Edward Stanton. So this is stuff he's saying. So what is that doing? He's taken the administration off the hook for all their mistakes they probably made by meddling. He's putting it onto McClellan. And this begins to get that national subculture now. It begins to get that national perception. And national perception in time turns into historical memory, exactly. which and never you, goes away.
0: If you look at the history of how Stanton is with people, Stanton tend to do the whole Michael Corleone thing of like, let's make it personal. You can tell that Michael Corleone is not my favorite character in The Godfather. Really? <laughs> I'm team sunny anyway. But if you look at stuff Stanton does down the road in particular with, with Sherman, with his surrender to Johnston and mm-hmm. how he totally throws Sherman under the bus with those terms He does a smear campaign against him in the newspaper, which was completely uncalled for. And that was all because Stanton had something personal against Sherman. And I think Stanton, as you said, like excellent point, he's trying to deflect away from the government's, like just all the red tape they caused, and they're putting it back on McClellan.
1: Now Here's another thing I know we talked about the other day, and this is not fact this is just my own opinion so take it for what it's worth means it's going to be true okay so basically with mcclellan was he was the beginning of the war and not the end of the war because don't forget the beginning of the war they thought this was going to be a milk run they thought this was gonna be a 30-day war this is gonna be easy and now mcclellan's losing or having a tough time and he's taken forever when lincoln is saying this thing's supposed to be freaking over why the hell is it taking so long and and mcclellan and sherman in the west they they knew this wasn't going to be a freaking easy Little thing they knew it was gonna be a long time, Absolutely so not. so it's taken McClellan a long time, and they don't like that. And so it's like, well, we want this thing to end. And as you, and you and if any proof of that, if you think I'm wrong with this one, which you probably do, but any proof that you might think is wrong versus the later in the war, it took two months for McClellan to almost get Richmond. Almost yeah. right, and that's and he gets run on a rail. He exactly, and
0: then Grant's it's, out in the west, Grant, around Grant, Vicksburg for nine months.
1: Right, but but look at the, it's Grant comes over the Overland Campaign in sixty four. Yeah, it takes him nine months to get Richmond, nine months yep. versus two, and it took McClellan a lot. I mean, granted, Lee's army was was stronger. Yeah, what worse Grant, but it took. Grant nine months to get to Richmond. He had to go through Spotsylvania and James River and Petersburg and uh, the Yellow Tavern. All those battles that went down in the Overland Campaign. yeah Nine nine months. They went through Cold Harbor. They lost seventy five hundred guys in fifteen minutes. He doesn't get blamed per se for that. People realize that at that point that the war was gonna was a hellish frigging thing at that point. McClellan did not get that respect. He got the whole, this war is easy, you got to win this, and it took a while. I think if McClellan – I think if Grant had – if they switch roles, I think if Grant was the guy at the beginning Mm -hmm. and McClellan was the guy at the end, it would be the exact historical reversal. I I think think so. I think you see McClellan will be the hero because he yep. would have taken his time and he would have, he, you know, he, would have, he was aggressive. I mean, Lincoln finally took the, the training wheels off of Grant said, fuck it, do it. Fuck, what the hell you want now? Fuck the hell, okay, Yeah, you know? well,
0: I mean, he lets him do Vicksburg for like nine months. Even, he, I mean, he is writing him and saying like, oh my God, like what's going on out there kind of thing. But yeah, like at the time, the perception of the war in the media was that there was that quote where it was, this is going to be a war that the blood spilled is going to fill like a thimble. And that was it.
1: Well, oh, he said it was like a handkerchief, right? Yeah. No, I think it was he a said, thimble. I think it was a handkerchief. I think, was I think he said I, "I think he said, with the blood being spilt, you could clean it with a handkerchief. Okay, go, go to the film. Go to the film, okay? You can send your apologies to DJ Weeks 41 at yahoo.com, okay? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so, but I think going to the overall point, though, I think these guys weren't treated the same, and I think a lot of it was timing. I think that was a big, big part of it. I think McClellan was – Still under the impression that the war was going to be easy at the time, Grant, at the end, was. they realized it was a different type of war than they thought, and they gave Grant a lot more leeway.
0: Okay, I have your answer. After a lady's thimble will hold all the blood that will be shed.
1: Okay, that's not right. That's bull. That's BS. There's there's another quote. Sorry, maybe we're both right. There's another quote that says with the handkerchief. I've seen it.
0: Well, I just read the lady's thimble one, and I heard it in Justin Martin's uh, book about Antietam as well.
1: Right, well, you can go in the corner.
0: <laughs> maybe we're both right,
1: Bucker. Maybe, maybe we're both right. I Holy fuck. You know what? fuck. I think we're both right. You're too quick to prove me wrong. So okay, we get to Antietam. He eventually gets fired. We're going to talk in a few minutes about some of the letters that people wrote about this. Some yeah. people will play a little game or I'll read a quote and you tell me who they were. How's okay. that for an idea? All right, okay, that I'm, sounds we'll go, good. Okay, I'll make up for that. Disgusting display a few minutes ago.
0: We were so, probably both right. I was
1: probably both. I'm just kidding. All right? Go <laughs> ahead. Go ahead. Say it. Actually, Darren. Actually, actually. you know. <laughs> you know what, Mary? It's nothing you need to be ashamed of. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> maybe maybe somebody will hear that story. But, yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> but but so, Lincoln. He he gets he gets rid of Mac, okay? And you can tell Lincoln at this point has had it with McClellan. You gotta look at a little bit of the backstory here is it goes back to that September second, eighteen sixty two. He put he went on the limb for McClellan. He did. He did. Everyone okay. wanted him gone. So now Lincoln feels that McClellan he's not he's acting slow again. He's not he beats him in Antietam, he's gonna get his emancipation proclamation. Yep. But, in his mind, he's gonna to need to go chase down Lee and beatham. We're going to see this later on at Gettysburg with Mead yep. same deal, okay and so Lincoln writes a fantastic mean girls
0: letter September thirteenth, which the yeah. we are recording which on is the on this day. day of this letter
1: and I have the original letter here oh, do you I do I got it me and Ben Gates went and got it. It's got it right here, okay <laughs> so so I'll read this letter to you right now, okay so this is this is October thirteenth eighteen sixty two Lincoln writes to Mac, you remember me speaking to you of what I called you about being your over-cautiousness or not your over-cautiousness, when, or not your over-cautiousness when you assume that you cannot do what the enemy is constantly doing. Should you not claim to be at least his equal in prowess and, and act upon his claim? And then he goes on, is it as if easy for our troops to march well as the enemy? And it is unmanly to say you cannot do it. Which it's is a, a classic, which, which, which is a classic, and the horse you rode in on. That's a whole in a cavalry
0: you rode in on quote from Lincoln. The shade. Don't you think? That's shady. Like That's four score, and go fuck yourself.
1: It is, yeah. He's basically right? saying,
0: like, you, you know what, dude, you need to move, or you need to just go stand in the corner and go fuck yourself.
1: Yeah, exactly. And. Obviously, there are other letters that went back and forth in in full disclosure. We couldn't find them. Yeah, we (laughs) were looking for them. We can
0: find them. I I Um, think I was reading this letter today, too. And I think it's like, you know, Lincoln at the time, he had spoken to his secretaries about it, and he had said that he was going to basically give McClellan a chance, like one more chance, and that was it. And this was that letter. But I don't think what Lincoln grasped completely... Was the state that the Army of the Potomac was in after Antietam?
1: That's a big thing, and we're going to go about that. We have some great quotes to talk about that. after Antietam? You know, you got to remember too. McClellan took over this army, and it was a mess when he took it over. And this is just a few weeks before, and yep. it wasn't all. It wasn't all this. And the Army of of the Potomac was basically was basically in a complete freaking utter mess. And the perception is that. He had Lee on the rails. He had a beat. All you had to do was just stick his hand out. He was that quote later on with Meade. You, you had him in your fingers. You just need to close your hands, yeah. right? And, but it, this one was a little bit different because Lincoln, you know, he basically was – McClellan was like – you know, he intended he was going to just going to stay in Sharpsburg. He had no intention of doing a campaign. And that, that was part of his big thing. You're not being aggressive enough again. You don't want to do – you just want to sit on your ass here, and and you have no intention to campaign. And that got debunked on a letter I found that he wrote – that McClellan wrote to his wife on September 22, 1862. And I quote, I look upon the Maryland campaign as substantially ended, and my present intention is to secure Harper's Ferry and hold it with a strong force, then go to work and reorganize the Army and ready for another campaign. So he was he was ready to move. He wanted to reform. He wanted to go get Harpers Ferry and he wanted to go get him. So that goes completely against the in the face of of what Lincoln said. Now could McClellan be bullshitting his wife? He's not the first guy to lie. to was freaking wife. That's what I mean, I'm some
0: sure. of the some of the um <clears throat> right. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> some, some of the letters that um, McClellan writes to his wife are pretty grandiose and over the top, like his letter after the ban- Battle of Antina, where he's like, the spectacle yesterday was the grandest I could conceive of. Nothing could be more sublime, you know, that kind of stuff. So he is writing her some pretty grandiose stuff.
1: Yeah. And the story, again, that the perceived story, the national memory says that Lincoln did everything he could to push Mac. Back- Including the October fourth visit to Antietam, and then on the, on ten six Lincoln ordered Mac to move. Mac remained and complained his supply requests were not met, and it was impractical to move. And so what? And that's going to be. We're going to get some good quotes on that here in a second because what Lincoln is saying is, I told the fucking guy to move, and yeah. he's bitch. He's bitching about supplies, and that's not an issue. Blah blah blah. But right, if you
0: look we at went, the quotes, if you look at the
1: history, we went. We went to the Civil War Breakfast Club vault in the headquarters over here (laughs) to to dig out some letters that Ben Gates got for us. Okay. And there is a lot of quotes that completely I don't want to say exonerate McCullough with this, but they basic they basically prove that the supply thing was wrong. Now what surprised me about these quotes was up to that point Rufus Ingalls had did a real good job as a quartermaster, yeah. but he did a lot better with the with the like the ammunition and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But the clothes and the food was a freaking mess. So and the shoes, a, the shoes the, were the, the, the shoes.
0: biggest thing.
1: The shoes were the biggest thing. So you say was fought over shoes?
0: No, it's fought over Two
1: Legos. Bit, but you better tell Ked Burns you got that fought over Legos.
0: You
1: know, so basically there's a captain in the 27th Indiana. His name is Edmund Brown. Okay, mm-hmm. not to be confused with Doc Brown. Edmund Brown. Okay, great Scott. Many of the regiments were shoeless pants were torn at the seat frayed at the bottom with no coats or no coats at all or torn at the seams it's like you leaving the mine actually is what sounds like right here matter of fact yeah
0: it's foreshadowing my future exactly you know
1: (laughs) as quartermaster okay uh he he notes the regiment was in worse shape than he's ever seen in all of history that's a quote he has so what these people are saying this guy says is these are these guys had no shoes Their pants, their asses were hanging out of their pants. Their their, their jackets, if they even had a jacket. This is going into September, which is getting pretty cold, right? He wants supplies. He said, before we're going to go on this campaign, we're going to be going into Virginia. We have no supply line. These dudes have no shoes. they got no pants. Their asses are hanging out.
0: Yeah, and they've got to get the supplies before they get into Virginia because they're going into enemy territory at that point, so they got to get it when the supply lines are open for them. Right, exactly.
1: So Lincoln said, attack while the roads are open, but it doesn't make a difference. Colonel Charles Wainwright from the artillery who fought at Gettysburg, who was a big guy Mm -hmm. at Gettysburg, he writes, a good deal of suffering among our men of want of clothing, especially blankets and shoes. I don't suspect we will remain here long in Sharpsburg but still, our supplies have not come and they were promised from Washington long ago. Yep. So this is 926, 1862. The Battle of, Gett- of Gettysburg of Antietam was 10 days before, nine yep. days before. Yep. Now you can roller skate backwards with your four wheels and your tight shirt and shorts and your headband, like we <laughs> talked about, backwards from Washington. To Sharpsburg in ten days. Maybe I can't, I can't but you probably can. Okay? No, that way.
0: would be a disaster. Just
1: don't forget your whistle.
0: You know? That'd be worse than me singing, actually.
1: Uh, okay, but again, <laughs> and what's interesting about the Wainwright letter is he thought they were coming. It sounds like we were expecting supplies, and they're fucking not yeah. coming. And this is some things we'll see more later on with this administration on Fredericksburg down the road with promised things that never came. Yeah, which we're gonna and talk about. Right. And so it's it's what I'm saying is this is a common thing. And for McClellan, again, opinion on fact, that this is what he's dealing with. Okay. You know, uh, Burnside is another quarter from from early October eighteen sixty two. Burnside rides with Lincoln, you know, he rode with Lincoln, it's in Sharpsburg, and mentioned one of his regiments, the ninth New York, suffered greatly from a loss of meat and vegetables. Mm-hmm. And they were always but they were always assured the food was coming soon and it never came. Yep. So again, this is another guy, whether it was true or not, they were under the impression that before we go campaign again, and if you're going to believe McClellan's letter to his wife that they were going to go, but they were waiting on supplies. And it mm-hmm. didn't sound like they were waiting for stupid shit. They weren't waiting for, you
0: know. No, God they were waiting They were waiting for, for food. They're waiting for shoes. And they're going to need the shoes especially coming up because the weather's getting colder. But you can't be marching your troops. And the one thing about McClellan is he cared immensely about his troops. Like he wanted yeah. to be well-supplied and all that okay. like you're not gonna you're not gonna take them somewhere where they mm-hmm. don't have adequate supplies because you're gonna wear yourself out before you even get to the enemy
1: and the, these aren't you know marcina patrick who was a division commander as a yep. brigade commander in the first corps in antietam he says the officers and men were without clothing now he might have been hooker or butterfield we don't know but it, you know but what they're saying is these guys had no clothes I mean, they they I don't think they had I mean, some clothes, but I mean, they were—they were, they were out. but they were torn out to the, the yeah. point you were saying before. Elijah Hunt Rhodes, one of the guys we talk about, I, I have his diary, and I looked at his diary because I, I wanted to get a quote from Antietam because I knew he mentioned it. He writes, "Good Rhode Island guy, by the way, Ben Frail, of yep. you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey Ben, um, team, team Wheaton. He's, hey. He says, so 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 Rhodes says, in spite of our old. Torn in ragged clothes, the troops looked well, and the line stretched over hills and plains. So again, he's putting a a positive spin on. He said the people are they're in good spirits, but their clothes. I mean, this is a common theme about this, and so basically just goes with the whole thing where you know Lincoln told Mac, and this this is where it gets funny too. is when Lincoln left McClellan, he basically told him, and I I quote, he told me when when he was leaving, he said that he was entirely satisfied with me. It would stand by me at all at all comers, right? So he says Lincoln told him, I got your back, don't worry. And it obviously didn't happen. Now I'm gonna read you this one more quote and I want you to tell me who this is.
0: Okay.
1: And I think you know we talked about this, but pretend you don't. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. We are in the heavy expectation of marching orders. We have been determined here by the failure of the government to push forward reinforcement and supplies. Telegraphing was requested of supplies, is sent back as early as October 7th, and we have not received them yet. So, mm-hmm. who said this quote? That's
0: George Gordon Mead writing to George his Gordon Meade. He's writing George to Gordon. his wife, Margaret. Right.
1: So, George Gordon Mead is saying, We're planning on going. We want to go. Everyone wants to go, but we have nothing. We have no food. You know, we have no food, we have no supplies, our pets' heads are falling off, you know, (laughs) and go. So again, it paints that picture of, did McClellan really sit on his ass and and not move because he he just just didn't want to go? Or maybe, just maybe, he wanted to go and didn't feel his army, who he'd been developing and training all these years, was not equipped to go ahead and adequately fight Lee.
0: Yep, and that's, you know, it's interesting. The one thing I was thinking about, you know, so... Here's McClellan not moving because he feels that his army is not equipped enough and he doesn't want to because he does have the best. I mean, despite how arrogant and narcissistic he is, he has the best interests of his army at, at heart and he doesn't want them to like, I mean, again, it goes back to the failure thing, but you know, so Lincoln writes him that letter and basically tells him to get his ass in gear. And McClellan's like, you need to get me fucking supplies. And November 5th, I hope I'm getting the date right. He's fired. Mm-hmm. So you flash forward to July 1863. General Meade is now in charge of the Army of the Potomac, and he doesn't pursue Lee right away. And Lincoln writes him a very basically, "Why aren't you doing this?" Like just tearing a strip off him letter, which he never sends. Which good for Lincoln. But I think the thing that Lincoln or that Lincoln realized in that he reread the letter and decided not to send it. I think he realized holy shit. This is what McClellan was going through at Antietam because Meade is basically doing the exact same thing. He's telling mm-hmm. me his troops are not in any shape to move. He's lost X number of division command, a uh, core commanders, division commanders. And I think Lincoln, I think that's when that was kind of the turning point for him when he realized like McClellan wasn't making shit up. McClellan wasn't moving for a reason. Nope. I'm now seeing it. I'm seeing it now with Meade. And you see after that a bit of a shift in how Lincoln does things. And the other thing too that shows just the government involvement and the red tape is in June of 1863, John Reynolds is called to the White House to have a meeting with Lincoln and Lincoln offers him the position in the Army of the Potomac. And Reynolds is like, no fucking way unless you can tell me you're not going to interfere unless I can have full control. There's no way I'm taking over this army. And Lincoln's like, nope, I can't do that. And the one thing about Reynolds is he was good friends with McClellan. And he was probably privy to a lot of the stuff that was happening. So I think those two examples right there are kind of illustrating to what you're saying, Darren, about this, you know, well, you need to look at more from McClellan's perspective and what was going on. Well, perceived or reality.
1: Yeah. There was it was like, you know how like um, you know, you mentioned the whole job thing again someone's going to take a position in a job and everyone says, you know what? The boss is a dick. Don't take the job. He's just going to micromanage you. Maybe this is one of those cases because clearly word got around. Oh yeah. That Lincoln and Halleck and Stanton and the rest of the cabinet, we're going to be having your thumb on you wherever you go. They're going to tell you what to do. They're going to do orders. They're not going to tell you they're going to do them. They're going to tell you after the fact. And then you know what they're going to do when it fails, they're going to blame you. and that's and that's a common theme throughout this administration now fact truth or not that's the perception it's obvious that the generals had because the proof to your point is the reynolds story because i would think that if you're john reynolds west point guy hero the whole deal that would be his dream job wouldn't it
0: oh absolutely you know his scene he saw mcclellan go down he saw burnside go down and he saw hooker go down And he was probably like, he was friends with Colin. He was probably privy to a lot of shit.
1: Well, the fact that he asked Lincoln, he says, if I take this job, will you tell me that you're not going to interfere in metal? The fact that he he even asked that, and so either he saw it, which he clearly saw it, or they told him, just so you know, the boss is going to be a dick. He's going to be all over your ass. So just just try to set that up. And so it goes to show that, that he was, you know, I mean, look. The end of the the end of the day, Lincoln helped win the war. He free, all this stuff that we said at the beginning, free the slaves, everything is absolutely right. Okay, he did all that stuff. Yep. But I think you got to look at these at the other side of the coin, though. That the people, and again, this goes back to this national historical memory now. Mm-hmm. That it's important to look at these other guys in, in real time, and not with 150 years of hindsight and reading all the books and hearing all the shit about these people. Whether you like McClellan or not, it doesn't even matter. What matters is you got to look at the plight he had, put yourself in that same shoes, and think maybe he was trying to do what he could, and maybe he was being held back. Mm
0: -hmm. And a
1: lot of the stuff that we're told about the slow and the sluggish and the overestimating, there's more to the story. And I think that story needs to be researched a little bit more. And that's what I came coming out of this was I think McClellan had a lot of promise i think he was very arrogant i think he was very egotistical yeah, but who wasn't warren was no.
0: arrogant warren was no, arrogant. But right, a lot of them right. But,
1: but i think he saw himself as the guy who was going to save the country I mean, you look at that early that early letter he said i saved the country twice yep. now so he really thought so he was you know he's no he's no angel either Mm-mm. but i think i think in his mind you know the, you know the, the victors get to write the stories and as soon as as soon as he got fired from antietam and he began to run for president in 1864 he wrote that 476 page diatribe yep. bashing lincoln and he made that his campaign and uh, you wonder how much it was wanting to end the war versus how much he wanted to just beat lincoln and and i think i think when you look at the whole thing and the stories written i think it's just important to look and just see maybe there's more, like I said, there's more to the story. There's always more
0: more to the story. And I mean, the historical memory thing, the most prominent place it's seen is in Sherman's March to the Sea. But I think the historical memory thing needs to be applied to more situations in the Civil War like this. Like I said at the beginning, we're not bashing Lincoln, we're not putting him down. But we just want people to think about the other side of it like look at it from McClellan's perspective and then you know you look at the evidence like you look at Reynolds turning down the job because he had probably was like I don't want to be micromanaged because I don't want to be the next one fired when the when we lose the battle like that's that's where they were at with it but too and then you look at the letter that Lincoln writes to Meade and then he doesn't send it and I think that was kind Oof. of Lincoln's moment where he was like shit McClellan actually was not moving for a reason and he sees that Meade is not moving because he's got the interests of the army at heart he's not pushing them because he knows they can't do it and mcclellan but,
1: too. well i the pre-64 election the post-64 election link is totally different oh exactly. and i think and, yeah. and i think it goes back to what we were saying at the beginning of this a while ago now is I think the perception was the war was an easy win. It was a two-foot putt. And the, lo- the longer it took, the more it made Lincoln look bad. And I think yeah. there was a lot of politics involved. He wanted a quick blitzkrieg-type war to put them away. Yeah. But I don't think Lincoln realized, like McClellan did, and certainly Sherman did, that this was not that war. If this war was going to be long. It was going to be grueling. And it was, co- was going to cost hundreds of thousands of lives and millions and millions of dollars to win this. They were going to have to go into the south and just and just destroy them. They they knew that's yep. how it had to be. And Lincoln at the beginning thought that he was going to call up the seventy five thousand guys, and they were going to go down there and it was going to be like you know paintball. They were just going to go finish these guys off, and it was going to be over. And that's how a lot of people thought. I mean, yep. And it didn't turn out that way. And that's why I think that if McClellan had been put into position later, if he took over the army around the Overland Campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, because the Confederation was done after Atlanta, they were done. Oh yeah. And if, if, if he would have won that, he would have eventually taken Richmond. Maybe he ends up being the hero, and who knows? He's still McClellan, still McClellan. He's still the arrogance and all that stuff. But, but I think, um, I think a lot of the stuff written about him is is unfair. Personally, no, oh, I do too. I no, mean. no,
0: nope. nope. I, I so. com- I, I one hundred percent agree with you about that. I've been thinking that since. Again, this is why one of the reasons I love doing this podcast with you is I'm doing like, yeah. he's just brushing off his shoulder for some reason. He's proud of himself. Oh, I don't know.
1: I'm just going to sit over here and be right.
0: Yep. God. Um, Anyway, getting back to my point that I was trying to make there, um, I've started to respect mcclellan more see things a little bit differently you know it's really interesting when you start to do just a closer look at stuff and examine what's out there how different it is you know how much historical memory is playing into the civil war with things not just the march the sea but with the perspective perception of mcclellan which like i still say mcclellan was an arrogant bastard but Mm -hmm. does he deserve the reputation he has i i don't think he does Like he was going to, he was having to fight with a lot. He's having to go through with the bureaucracy in Washington. And we're going to see that with Burnside at Fredericksburg. I think Hooker goes through it as well. They all experience it. Mm -hmm. And if you're the lead general and you like, you're going to be the one on the chopping block. It's kind of like if you're the CEO of a company, then you are the one that falls first. Well, exactly.
1: Here's your chance to do it. Go win me the war in 10 minutes, Yep. you know, and then, they try, yeah, but I think by research on this, it proves a couple of things. I think McClellan was more aggressive than people think he was, yeah absolutely um, I, I think he was getting fed bullshit numbers from the cabinet mm-hmm. as far as what he was what he's fighting with yeah but 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 the biggest indictment I think, and, and Lincoln doesn 't have as have any fingerprints on this at all, but no. you see what Stanton, especially with that one quote about the troops, yeah, blames people, they blame they blame the generals, yeah. For all the mistakes. They blame, you know, every single one of them. You, you every guy who went went through it, you get his ass to kick out the door. Just you know, it's, you see a letter and they just trash him. But yep. McClellan was the worst. McClellan was the worst, he was a target. He brought a lot upon himself because he wrote a lot of letters himself and he'd said a lot of stupid things. Haven't we all? You know, but yep. you certainly haven't.
0: Oh, I have. Trust me, I'm gonna be hearing about it for the next three some years. Oh, you certainly but I, th- but I think but I think so at the like, end of the day
1: hey, oh yeah shit but I think but I think at the end of the day it proves that every, every one of these guys you look at we've been fed a line of history our entire lives because no one's a confederate no one's a union no one none of us fought there none of us were there yeah. but we were taught a certain line of thinking and some of it is, is reality some of it's facts some of it's fiction but like anything else, don't just read. Always question what you read and yep. see what the best thing is and make up your own decisions. Cuz I think if you do you'll find that some of the stuff you've been taught maybe is a little bit embellished to help an overall, you know, an overall agenda that people might have. Yep,
0: absolutely. There's and, always an agenda. That's why I say like when you're reading I mean as as wonderful as Grant's memoirs are, he has an agenda. Same with Sherman, even with Howard, you know, their his autobiography, they all have an agenda. And you have to look at different things and to really understand what was going on in this war, you know? And I mean, Lincoln was a brilliant man. He's a brilliant president, but you know, he's having to find his way through something that has never, he's in uncharted territory too. And he's going to make mistakes along the way. And Stanton, probably my least favorite cabinet member. And, uh, For for many reasons, but yeah, like
1: yeah, he's a dick.
0: Yeah, he is. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, just just what he does to Sherman because he's out and he's out to get Sherman. You can see that, you know, during the march to the sea. You can see it when he gets to Savannah and all this other stuff that that he's out to get him. So there is, if you look at like the evidence, even that happens after that when it's not a one time thing. It's like okay, this is a pattern with this person. You know, you start to see the bigger picture. And I'm I'm really glad we explored this in this episode. And I think it's kind of I would like to explore more of this in other episodes, I think, other kind of historical memory and look at, okay, well, what might be the actual case with this when you start looking at it a little bit closer?
1: And again, to your your point, Mary, at the beginning, it's not about McClellan's right, Lincoln was wrong, or vice versa. You know, it's like anything else. It's the you know, he sheds, he said, she said, and the truth is somewhere, well, probably she said, but somewhere in the middle is usually how it goes, right? And so the whole thing is researching enough to make up your own decisions. You know what? If you think McClellan's a dick, which he probably is, that's totally cool. If you think Lincoln, Lincoln is fucked up, that's totally cool too. But it's important to look at both sides of it and help make up your own decisions. So mm-hmm. check it out. There's always some good resources to get out there and read it. But I think, I, I think it's a pretty good study to look at and just get an idea yes. of maybe and just to see how – how legit these guys really are with their stuff, and just you know, it's just a lot of the stuff you've been read is the stuff that's been agenda driven. So yeah, so
0: well, I think that's a good place to wrap up because we I are think it definitely is. over one hour.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm all about an hour and fifteen minutes. You can have some editing to do, Mayor. Yeah,
0: I am. I, I will, but I enjoy doing it. So thank you to Darren for doing a lot of the research for this episode. Awesome on it.
1: No, no, thank you very
0: much. You know, <laughs> I mean, hey, I, I am just happy to be part of the team, Mayor. Hey, well, I'm happy to have you along with this, so I would not want to do it with
1: anybody else. Ah, <laughs> oh, look at you. Look at you. Now, I'll just go stand in the corner over here.
0: <laughs> Probably call you a fucker as soon as I stop recording it.
1: Yeah, I usually do. Anyway, um, yeah, so once again, we'll be jumping on Facebook Live on, on 10 a.m. on Saturday to talk – well, on paper anyway, about McClellan. You know, what? I hope people do want to talk about McClellan because I think that'd be a cool thing to talk about. I think yeah. people would like, or oh, anybody wants to talk about it. a week from Wednesday, we're going to be doing our inaugural Civil War Breakfast Club roundtable. Ooh la la. Yep. So if you're, if you're interested in doing that, you have to email us, quote Mary, yeah. at <laughs> Civil, War, Civil War Breakfast Club at gmail.com. And one of us, Mary, will be responding to you. And, and then we'll get a little group together. And then she some one of us, Mary. We'll email the zoom code to you so we can do it. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It's not going to be a lecture. It's not going to be some stuffed shirt, reading us dusty books. We just want to get together and talk about whatever's on your mind, make it fun, just like lives do. So that'll be
0: cool. Uh, Next week we are doing, we are doing episode 10. So we are doing something fun for that. We are going to, each of us is going to bring a few generals that we would like to have a beer with. Oh, uh, that's, that's right. Tell the other what that's we're doing. Right. So that's, it's going to be kind of a fun, lighthearted episode. The week after that, we are going to be hoping in dates, right? We're going to be talking ghosts with our
1: oh. We are going to be doing the Ghosts of Gettysburg. We're going to be talking with our friend, Jen Price, who yep. we call Jay Price. Yep. And she'll be coming on talking some cool ghost stories. And we'll, we'll talk about that right around the Halloween season before you, uh, Mary goes out and eggs those cars and toilet paper those trees. We'll be, able, <laughs> we'll be able to get out there and, uh, and talk a little bit about, about some ghosts. So, that's, so we're going to have some fun. These next couple weeks, we're going to have some fun. Then we'll get back into November. We're going to do some things. Yeah, November's a, stuff. Busy,
0: November's a busy Civil War-related month for us. And um, we're actually going to be putting out some videos just to tell you guys what we're getting up to each week, too. We're going to try and start... Doing a little bit more of that because we can do that on Twitter. Let you know what we're going to be talking about. But, yeah, November is going to be probably Gettysburg Address, Franklin, Vowels for Chattanooga, all that fun stuff.
1: A lot of some some good stuff on the horizon. So the dance yep. card, Mary, is full. So, yes. anyways, this is always a good time with you. It was always a pleasure talking, nerding out with, with yep. you, as always. So we will look forward to talking to you soon. So, again, uh, live on Saturday on
0: Saturday morning at 10
1: and then we'll do this again next week. And then we'll be doing our first roundtable, which is going to be really, really cool. That'll be yeah, a lot of
0: fun. That's going to be awesome. So anyway, until next time, have a wonderful Saturday, because that's when you're going to be listening to this. Hopefully you join us for our Facebook Live at 10 o'clock. And until then, we'll see you all again soon. Peace out. Okay. Bye, guys.